The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Insights and Strategies with Barbara Lang. On the program today, Barbara and her guests will discuss the topics you want to hear more about, from business leadership to community and education. It all affects our bottom line. Now, here is your host, Barbara Lang. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Insights and Strategies, where we will bring you thoughtful and provoking insight on a variety of business issues that impact you and your organization on a daily basis. I am pleased to be your host, Barbara Lang, Managing Principal and CEO of Lang Strategies. We'll be tweeting during the show, so please join the conversation at Lang Strategies. In between our shows, you can always reach me at bblang at langstrategies.com. And you can also learn more about us at www.langstrategies.com. On previous shows, we've had such topics as international business development, the impact of the 2016 presidential election on business, cybersecurity challenges, and building equitable communities, among others. Today, our topic is the cost of health care on business. The Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, colloquially referred to as Obamacare, is a federal statute signed into law by President Obama on March 23, 2010. Since its passage, there have been a lot of discussions and myths about Obamacare. And some of them are, one political party has made the overblown claim that the law is a job killer, but experts predict a smaller impact on low-wage jobs. That same party also says 8.3 million part-timers can't find work, can't find full-time work because of this law. Proponents say premiums will go down, while opponents say they will go up. Critics continue to make scary claims that the government is coming between the patient and their doctor. So lots to talk about here. The merits of Obamacare have been loudly debated in the 2016 presidential election. In fact, I believe that every Republican candidate during the primary said they would end Obamacare and replace it with something, something yet to be defined. Now, here's where I offer my personal opinion. I think throwing out Obamacare is akin to throwing out the baby with the bathwater. It would be disastrous for our economy. Should there be improvements? Absolutely. But discontinuing Obamacare just wouldn't work and would be incredibly disruptive. Today, we have three guests very knowledgeable 
about the subject of the Affordable Health Care Act. Mila Kaufman, who is the executive director of DC's Healthcare Exchange, Pete Chesner, principal of McQuaid Consulting, an insurance and benefits consulting firm. Hinok Testafay, President and CEO of U Street Parking, a business based in the District of Columbia. We did attempt to get a couple of the major insurance carriers on the show today to represent the insurance company perspective, but unfortunately they both declined our invitation. Obamacare and the exchanges, particularly the national exchange, got off to a rocky start back in 2010. Some of it might have been due to technology, not tested and not ready. Parts of the legislation in conflict with other parts. A lack of education and training. This was so new to everybody. And there may be a host of other reasons as well. We are pleased today to have the health, the head of the D.C. Exchange with us. And Mila, I would start by saying thank you first for joining us. But rather than rehashing those challenging early days, tell us how things have progressed over the past few years and where are you today? Thank you so much for having me. And just to clarify, D.C. built its own marketplace called D.C. HealthLink. And while healthcare.gov, which is the federal marketplace in the first year of operation, had tremendous challenges and difficulties uh, getting off the ground, we had a very different experience here. We were the last state to start building. Of course, there was no blueprint. No one has ever done anything like this before. So we were learning many lessons as we were building the online marketplace. On October 1st, 2013, we were one of four states to open for business on time, and we stayed open, and we opened for both small business customers as well as individual marketplace customers. We proudly serve D.C., businesses, residents here in the district. We also were designated as a source of coverage for Congress and their staff, both on the Hill and in their district offices. And President Obama enrolled through us and has renewed his coverage. Um, And I would say what has contributed significantly to our success here in the district is the close work and the collaboration and the partnerships we had from day one with diverse stakeholders. We partnered with the small business, uh, the Chambers of Commerce. We, um, we asked for a lot of help from small business owners, from brokers, uh, from uh, providers, from consumer and patient advocates. The health plans were our full partners. And so really here in the district, we built the online marketplace from the ground up, and it reflected the priorities and the needs of the city and the people who live and work here. Um, I would say where we are now is we've uh, made significant improvements to the website based on customer feedback. I know some businesses and brokers who who, uh, came online and tried to shop back in the early days in 2013 and 2014. Uh, Not everyone had a great experience, and 
uh, and it's unfortunate because I wanted all of my customers to have a fantastic experience. Some did, some didn't, but based on feedback, we've made huge improvements. If you haven't visited our website for a while, I really encourage you to do so. We've simplified things. It's a lot faster. <laughs> for instance, we, uh, we went from 22 screens to five screens for employers. We went from 26 to six screens for employee shopping and enrollment. Uh, huge improvements, and uh, we've had some really great feedback from our customers as a result of that. So to sum up a little bit of what you said, you really had to build the plane while you were trying to fly it at the same time. It was a tall order to roll out uh, this legislation um, uh, in the District of Columbia. You may have spoken to this a little bit in your former answer, but, but as you look at it now and look back, what, what's been the most successful part for the exchange? And on the, the other side, kind of, what are your biggest challenges? I would say I'm very proud of our success on the individual side, uh, the uninsured rate here in the district dropped by 20%, so we're very proud of that. Uh, On the small business side, we're very proud of the fact that we have four major insurers offering 136 different products to our customers. We are able to offer real choices. There's real competition for small businesses. We've, We've been able to achieve real savings. We've saved our small businesses, our small business customers, thousands of dollars each month in health insurance premiums. Uh, and we're very proud of that. Um, in terms of the challenges, I would say initially it was definitely IT. Uh, we had these long development cycles. The vendor we used uh, hard-coded the system, which made it very expensive, and um, the development cycles, if we wanted to change or improve or fix anything, it took about 8 to 12 months to do that. So we learned our lessons very quickly and decided that was now going to be the IT solution for us. And we went from that to open source code, which actually saves a significant amount every year. We, we don't have any licensing fees anymore. And also we use an agile approach, so that means we can make changes to the online application, shopping experience, all the tools we have, we can make those changes on a daily basis. We have no downtime. Um, and, in fact, the the, um, the new website, the enhanced website, uh, was built with a lot of input from brokers and businesses who use the various features. And we have uh, that feedback on an ongoing basis, and we're able to make improvements based on customer feedback uh, very quickly. Boy, a lot of things have changed then since when I uh, was head of the D.C. Chamber of Commerce and we were one of your partners. And I remember a lot of those technology challenges. So I am so pleased uh, to hear the progress. Pete, you represent a number of small businesses who insure their employees Uh, And I understand that you are no longer operating on the D.C. exchange, but I know early on there were a lot of technology changes, but as things have settled in, and I know you're dealing with the Maryland exchange, who also had a lot of technology problems from the beginning, and if I recall, they had to rewrite uh, all of their technology. 
What are you hearing from your clients about the exchanges that you are dealing with? Well, Barbara, first, thank you for having me on the program. I appreciate the opportunity. And um, what we have found is that when we first started and worked with the BC Exchange, of course, we experienced those um, technology issues, but we worked with the employers in the DC market to help them work through the process. And I think that's kind of the value in what uh, Ms. Kaufman had mentioned earlier is their partnership with the brokers, understanding that that is where the employers are going to go to try and find solutions or help them deal with those technology issues. So we really did partner and try and solve problems and give feedback of where things could be improved or what we might be struggling with. Or um, in the early days, is there a possible workaround so that we can uh, take care of some of the issues and make sure that these employees uh, receive their insurance and their ID cards at the time they're supposed to get those. Um, there is a difference between Maryland and D.C. And within Maryland, um, you do not have to use the technology to offer benefits to your employees. And D.C. is a, a market where you need to use a D.C. health link, uh, health link excuse me, to offer those benefits. I and am going so, to explore that later in our discussion because I will do want to talk about that a little bit and have Mila educate us a little bit on 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 some of that. Um, but but go ahead and finish your thought. Oh sure. So um, with us, our experience is that we still consult with DC groups, um, but there are certain organizations there that really have the skills to be able to navigate the technology. So what we've done is partnered with them. And so we can provide the consulting for the employers and make sure that they're making the right decisions and that things are properly communicated to their employees in the format that works best for them. So if that is us meeting them and discussing with the employees face-to-face, we do that. And then the technology aspect of it and getting them enrolled in the carrier system, we partner with organizations that handle that for us so that we really don't focus on that. In the Maryland market, um, they have the opportunity, they can use the technology if they wish, or they can um, kind of do it the old-fashioned way, and that is communicating directly with insurance carriers and doing open enrollments and having paper filing if they want to do that, or electronic filing. And what we have found is that in Maryland, if there is an opportunity for that group to get a subsidy, then yes, of course, we'll use the technology. If that is not uh, available to those employers, they may have highly paid uh, employees or too many employees and thus aren't eligible for any subsidies, then we kind of do it the old-fashioned way. And that is that we, you know, put together the information, put it in front of them in the format that they want to view it, and uh, help them enroll their employees in whatever format they'd like to use. So I am supportive of it, and we are working as partners. And uh, basically, we're trying to do the best for our employer, our clients, and so we provide them the best solution at the moment that's available. Very good. I uh, I want to continue um, some of this discussion and then um, uh, bring in a real life user of of this a, a small business in the District of Columbia. But we do have to take a quick break at the moment. We want to ask everybody to stay with us as we continue our discussion on the cost of health care on business. 
Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Lang Strategies is the leader in providing businesses and nonprofits with insight on business development, operational excellence, political strategy, tactical planning, marketing communications, leadership management, and cultural transition services for international businesses. Each member of our team is an expert in their respective field, and each of them are dedicated to serving in the best interests of our diverse client base. Our business is to define our clients' needs and create a customized plan to exceed their goals and objectives. We compete aggressively and successfully for our clients' respect and trust. We also care deeply about the communities we serve, and our expertise in civic and grassroots campaigns serves our clients well on a variety of issues. We appreciate the faith, support, dedication, and investment of our clients and community in Lang Strategies, and we look forward to a successful and sustainable partnership. For more information or to put Lang Strategies to work for your organization, visit us on the web at langstrategies.com. That's langstrategies.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Insights and Strategies. To reach Barbara Lang or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to bboyer at langstrategies.com if you have any questions or comments about the program. Now, back to Insights and Strategies. Welcome back. I'm glad you stayed with us for this next segment. We still have a lot to cover. And we were just talking uh, about the exchanges and uh, particularly Maryland and, uh, and D.C. Um, and Pete, I'd want to, before I actually bring a real-life small business in to discuss, is the mood amongst the small and mid-sized businesses that you uh, interface with has it become more positive than uh, when you and I used to deal with? And this was probably three years ago. Uh, there was just a lot of turmoil, and a lot of it because people didn't understand. It was an education issue. Correct. But now are things are things much better? Uh, is the mood changed a lot? I would agree. Yes, the mood has changed. Uh, we have been been very uh, intensive in the education of our clients and uh, other opportunities and we want to provide for them sort of a comfort level that we are providing them the information it is wise information and the, the decisions that they're making for the employees are the right ones and it has evolved so this law has been in effect for many years and as um, sort of each phase of it has been unveiled and employers have responsibility, the broker market will go out and educate their clients and prepare them for that. So as a little, as piece by piece it comes out, we educate them, make sure that they understand it and move forward. And I think people now realize it is not something that is overwhelming. It is not something that they're going to have to fire employees to abide by. They're not going to have to cut their staffs. I think that that whole fear has been alleviated. And now we're just, you know, following the law of the land and making sure everybody understands it. And I do believe there is optimism. 
Good, good. Well, now I'd like to bring in a real-life um, uh, small or mid-sized business uh, that is ha- had to deal with this on a daily basis. Uh, Hinoch, before we get into the challenges and or the opportunities uh, of this legislation, of the Obamacare legislation, I'd like if you could tell us just a quick you know, 30 seconds about your business, the number of employees and relationships and whatever, because I think this would give us a good baseline uh, to talk about Obamacare and its impact to a business like yours. Okay. Uh, first, I would like to say thank you for giving us this opportunity. My name is Hanak Tasfai. I'm with U Street Parking, the president and CEO of the company, uh, district-based company. We are a parking management company. I uh, have about 600 employees in this area, so uh, I started 98. We've been in business the last eight, I mean, almost 18 years now. That's terrific, terrific. Did you have a good insurance coverage for your team prior to the 2010 Affordable Care Act? Yes, I offered uh, coverage to the full-time employees even before the ACA Act. Now coverage is expanded to the things like, you know, pre-existing conditions. Right, right. Um, what has been your experience has, uh, since implementation, um, has, your, has the expenses increased o- over this period of time? Uh, yeah, like all other companies and our premium, you know, our premium for the health insurance have been increased every year before and after even the ACA Act, you know. Right, right. And how do you manage um, the increase in cost? Do you, uh, do you pay for all the expense? Is it a shared cost with your employees? Yeah, yeah, it's a share cost, but it's to what extent the increase are higher or lower because of the AC Act, we do not know. I mean, I'll leave that to the insurance experts, but, I, you know, I manage the expenses, you know, the best that I can, but employees' health, you know, comes first, so we find it a way to pay their premiums. Okay, so you pay 100%. <laughs> no, uh, oh, yeah. we have a different coverage. I was about to say we need to put you up on a pedestal here. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a shared, um, the, the employee yes. has some responsibility. Okay, and yes. I think yes. most companies uh, are like that today. Gone are the days from many years ago when I worked for IBM when it was uh, uh, all paid 100%. I, I think those days are long gone. <laughs> yeah, they've been gone. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Are, are your employees generally satisfied with um, their health care coverage? Is that, has that been the experience of what they're saying to you? What, the employees? Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, uh, our employees, yes, they're, you know, the employees are able to pick from, you know, any other, they have different options, they're satisfied, I think that's the feedback that we're getting. Okay, okay, good. You know, um, I was reading uh, an article, and this really, this question is really more for Mila and uh, for um, Pete, Um, on, I think it was yesterday, in the New York Times, I saw it online about the rising cost of health care, and I'd just like to get your opinion of why do you think health care costs are rising so, and then I'll tell you what the article says, but let's see what your opinion is. Mila, do you have uh, have some thoughts? Um, sure. 
So um, premium rates are based on a couple of things. Who is insured? Uh, so you always need a, a, a good uh, mix, age mix, you need younger people and older people. Um, it's also based on the use of services and the cost of those services. So if a hospital uh, rate goes up uh, for a certain procedure or your physician specialist rates go up, all of that is, is reflected in the premiums. Now, what I can tell you about the district and what we've observed uh, since the Affordable Care Act passed is we've had uh, some of the lowest premium increases in the nation. That's not to say that it's it's good to have any premium increase. Of course, it's not, and every dollar matters to people. Uh, but we have had some of the lowest premium increases in the nation. And one of the things that we've been doing as the as DC HealthLink is we advocate for our customers, for both shop customers, small business customers, and individual customers. And we do that by hiring actuaries to actually look at the proposed rates that insurance companies file with the insurance regulators. And our actuaries are essentially looking to see if those assumptions are justified, if the insurance companies have provided the evidence to justify the rate hikes, and and we're always advocating for the lowest possible rates. And, in fact, what we're seeing, especially on the group side, is uh, because our market has become more competitive for small businesses, and we define small business as 50 and fewer workers, uh, uh, essentially some products, the rates for those products are either staying the same this year as they were last year or are even uh, going to be lower. So we're pretty pleased at what we're seeing with some of the products. We, of course, would like to see all rates stay stable. Right, right. Pete, do you have an opinion as to why the cost of rising? And in some jurisdictions, in the article I read, it's uh, some of them are going up to 60% increase. Do you have a view? I, I do have an opinion, and I could talk for hours on it, so I'll try to be <laughs> brief in my response. Um, our healthcare system is extremely complicated, and where I think the benefits of you know the United States and our healthcare system and our technology and our advancements and our prescription medication and the research and development and all of those things that are positives about the United States and our healthcare system are also the same things that make it very expensive. And so you can factor that into it. You can also factor into nationally there has been a consolidation of health insurance carriers. And with that consolidation, you lose a little bit of competition. And where uh, Ms. Kaufman had said, referred to um, the um, uh, employers filing their uh, premium rates with the, with the uh, various state insurance commissioners, when you have less insurance carriers doing that, you lose that competition. And where one might be able to sharpen the pencil because they're being aggressive in a certain area or their actuaries are finding savings and want to take advantage of that, when you consolidate those, you lose those opportunities. And then also, I think it's just the management of our healthcare system and the negotiations between now growing doctor networks and hospital networks with insurance carriers and the seemingly randomness of hospital payments. And in certain situations, it could be a charge of $50,000, and if it's negotiated properly, it could get down to 
you know, the single thousands. And so I think really what needs to happen is that the, our economists, our smart people in this world really need to take a deep dive into our healthcare system and find out where there are opportunities for savings or where there are opportunities for improvements because it is a very, very big problem. And I think a lot of work needs to be focused on it to try and rein in those costs. Uh, I absolutely agree, and and uh, it has become where it is such a huge part of our economy and really, really big business. In this article uh, that was online for the New York Times uh, yesterday, a couple of reasons that they gave uh, was that there were more people than expected that uh, uh, that did not have coverage before that are now applying for coverage, which you certainly would expect and you want. That was the intent. And you had a lot of people with major health issues that are now on the exchange, hopefully with good maintenance care over the coming years. Uh, we'll see some of that stable, you know, stabilize and and decline. But uh, but but if you have not had health care for a very long time, and all of a sudden you're catching up because you've got so many issues, it just stands to reason that that cost, those costs, would be astronomical, certainly to begin with. Um, I. Um, I think we'll take a break because I want to delve into uh, uh, some other things, but uh, we've only got just a few seconds before break. So I think we will pause now uh, for our break. Um, and uh, we still have a lot to cover. And I want to continue this conversation with Mila Kaufman, uh, Pete Chesner, and Hinoch Tesserfei. Uh, stay with us. We'll be right back. it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Lang Strategies is the leader in providing businesses and nonprofits with insight on business development, operational excellence, political strategy, tactical planning, marketing communications, leadership management, and cultural transition services for international businesses. Each member of our team is an expert in their respective field, and each of them are dedicated to serving in the best interests of our diverse client base. Our business is to define our clients' needs and create a customized plan to exceed their goals and objectives. We compete aggressively and successfully for our clients' respect and trust. We also care deeply about the communities we serve, and our expertise in civic and grassroots campaigns serves our clients well on a variety of issues. We appreciate the faith, support, dedication, and investment of our clients and community in Lang Strategies, and we look forward to a successful and sustainable partnership. For more information or to put Lang Strategies to work for your organization, visit us on the web at langstrategies.com. That's langstrategies.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
You are listening to Insights and Strategies. To reach Barbara Lang or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to bboyer at langstrategies.com if you have any questions or comments about the program. Now, back to Insights and Strategies. Glad you stayed with us for this next segment. We still have a lot to cover and uh, glad to have our guest, Mila Kaufman of the D.C. Healthcare Exchange, uh, uh, Pete Chesner, uh, McQuaid Consulting, and Hinot Tassafé uh, of U Street Parking. Mila, when I remember when I was at the chamber and when the, uh, the D.C. HealthLink got started, um, the intent back then of your board was to make the exchange self-sustaining and not be reliant on the district government. Have we made progress towards that goal? I'm not as close to it anymore as I used to be. Yes, and thank you, Barbara. I should say thank you, thank you so much for all the work you used to do uh, for us for free, volunteering your time and giving us advice and input in how we should uh, build the marketplace that really serves small businesses uh, for what they need. And that was um, critical, really, to our success. Uh, but I'm sure you're, you're very glad not to have to serve on those gazillion working groups. Uh, making uh, yeah, those I'm not there anymore. <laughs> um, so uh, yes, yeah, so initially we were a hundred percent funded through federal grants under the Affordable Care Act. There were significant grants available to states who wanted to establish their own online marketplaces, and so we initially had grants from the federal government. A few years ago, the D.C. Council passed legislation which authorized to do uh, authorized us uh, to do a broad-based assessment, essentially assessing uh, health carriers, health insurance companies, or uh, insurers that sell health coverage. Um, and so we assess uh, health carriers 1% each year. The 1% is based on the premiums that the uh, companies collect, and essentially that that pays for our operations and everything that we do. Uh, I'll just note that it's not a local taxpayer-based assessment. Uh, it's not through the the, uh, the local fund. Um, it is uh, straight on the insurance industry that uh, that does business in the healthcare space, um, and that's what uh, uh, helps us to stay in business and and stay efficient and and operate and serve business residents, uh, 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 DC businesses and residents. So you you are making a lot of progress where you can not being necessarily not being a part of the uh, of the DC government, but but where you're not reliant on um, some sort of apportionment out of the the budget, other than the assessment that's kind of a pass through. Uh, so we get zero dollars from the local budget. Oh, good. Okay. All right. I didn't yes, hear that. We, okay. We, yeah, we do not receive any local funding. We uh, we are funded solely through the assessment that we charge health carriers, uh, and um, and then we have a little bit of funding left through the federal grants, but that um, will be uh, going away very very soon. Mm-hmm. 
D.C. is uh, one of two jurisdictions, as I recall from my early days in uh, 2010, uh, uh, of where you have an exchange set up and we had to operate in a closed market. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because Pete mentioned that earlier. Uh, can you talk a little bit about why D.C. set up a closed market, why they had to set up a, a closed market, and, and um, kind of how has that gone? Uh, yes, yeah, so we call it one big marketplace. Uh, we, uh, we are the sole distribution channel for individual and small group coverage, which means that everything has to be sold through us. And we wanted to do that for a number of reasons. First and foremost, we really wanted to create more competition and to encourage more competition among insurance companies for small businesses and for individual business. And being in a small population state, uh, small market, um, it, it was critical to, to, uh, to enable competition. And so, so the way we did it was to say we are the sole distribution channel. And what that means is our customers can go on dchealthlink.com and they see everything. They see all prices, all products. And that kind of transparency really has helped drive the 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 competition, the the more competitively priced products offered through us. I can tell you, after the law was passed, um, it was really interesting to see what insurance companies did. And the four major insurance companies uh, that sell through us, so we have United and Aetna and CareFirst and Kaiser, um, they all filed their proposed rates, and three of them decided once they saw their competitors' proposed rates, they refiled for lower rates. And one uh, carrier actually filed additional products because they felt like it, to compete effectively, they needed to offer more choices. So creating one big marketplace, being the sole distribution channel has really helped us uh, with the premiums and the kinds of products that are available to small business customers here. That's what competition will do. I'm delighted to hear that. Pete, I know that that you would have preferred, uh, as I recall, to operate um, uh, in a more competitive, what was called then an open market, at least when you were still operating as vigorously back then in D.C., and where you could offer uh, prospective clients options on or off the exchange. Now that things have settled down and um, and you, while you're not operating the same way in D.C., if you look at Maryland and any other markets that you're in where people could buy on or off the exchange, what uh, what is the experience that you are hearing, whether from other brokers or with your own clients, about the open and closed markets and was it more advantageous for your business? Well, I definitely understand why D.C. had to be a closed market because there's such a small market. Therefore, if you had an option to go outside and a significant portion of the citizens did that, you would really lose a competitive advantage and you would not be able to maintain that. Um, Within Maryland, very little activity happened, at least in our business and with our clients, and I can only answer for that. But 
when we um, deal with our clients, we are still dealing with them in the traditional way of providing employee benefits and then health insurance. We contact the insurance carriers, we receive the quotes, we put them together. Um, we can, if we can be in a competitive situation, meaning that it's not a rate that's filed with the state, that there is some negotiation available, we'll continue to do that. And really the very, very few opportunities that people actually go into the Maryland exchange and use that as an employer. You know, it's kind of my belief that the success of the Affordable Care Act is that the individual market sustains itself. So where Ms. Coffin was referring to the D.C. Health Link and sustaining the D.C. Health Link, I believe that was in reference to the administrative cost of the D.C. Health Link. But really where I feel that the Affordable Care Act will find themselves successful and where they would measure that success is the individual market sustaining itself, meaning there's enough premiums coming in to pay all the claims going out. And right now, certain insurance companies um, have to pay the losses of other insurance companies. And at that point, to me, I don't find that as a success. Evergreen Health has to pay Care First millions of dollars every year because Care First has more losses than Evergreen Health. Uh, so when this market gets to that point where the individual market can sustain itself, I think that's where there will be a measure of success. So how do we get there? How do we achieve that? You know, you or Mila have um, um, any thoughts about how do you get to that point such that one insurance company is not losing so much? And it just may be that the population in their jurisdiction has uh, a lot of more senior citizens and more people that have not had good health care, so their health in general is not that great. Uh, and so you're going to expect that th- those kind of claims, I guess, there. It, it, how, how do you get to that future state of where we would like this to be? Well, so, where so I, I would believe it should happen is you have a population that's high risk. And so, although I am not a fan of an overall single, single payer, um, that population of bad risk should be in a single payer format, like a Medicare or a Medicaid. And then I think the commercial carriers should work with the better risk within the, uh, whether it's an individual population or an employer-based population. And I think the most important thing is transparency. I think there needs to be transparency with the provider bills, the hospital bills, the MRIs, testing, whatever it may be, so that there is not a gigantic fluctuation in cost. And then there should be transparency in the expenses of the insurance market because if an Evergreen, again, has to pay Blue Cross, Evergreen should be able to understand how Care First operates or Blue Cross operates and say there are some inefficiencies that we've improved upon and maybe we can provide you those efficiencies and therefore lower your cost so we no longer have to subsidize. So I believe what is the most important thing is transparency and so everybody is sort of fighting towards that same goal to have a lower health care cost because that would benefit everyone. Interesting. Yes, please. Yeah, thank you. So I just want to clarify something that Pete said earlier. Um, So our uh, administrative cost to having an online marketplace, um, uh, because we have a broad-based assessment on carriers, uh, what 
the the funding that comes in through that source is not in any way related to how many people are covered through us. It's just a broad-based assessment, and we wanted to do it that way because we wanted to keep cost, the administrative piece, as low as possible. Um, and since other insurance companies who don't sell through us benefit uh, because more people have coverage uh, and can afford to buy some of those other health products, uh, uh, we thought it was equitable. So... But that's a separate discussion than um, why is health insurance so expensive. Uh, One of the things um, that is critical to making sure that health insurance, the risk pool itself, uh, stays stable is to make sure that you always have new customers coming in and that some of those new customers are younger people. Age is a proxy to to health and to claims experience. And as we age, all of us know, we, we see our, our doctors more frequently and, and we have um, um, new medical needs um, that we didn't have when we were in our 20s. So it's really critical to attract younger people to be insured. And we've done that really well here in the district. We have one of the youngest risk pools. Uh, we do all sorts of creative events to, uh, to attract uh, young people to enroll. Um, the other thing I want to mention, Pete mentioned this, um, this inequitable idea that some insurance companies are transferring huge amounts of money to others uh, without having any transparency. That is something that I completely agree with, with Pete about. Um, the federal law has a very complicated uh, market uh, insurance pool stabilization and um, actuaries understand it very well, but that's about it. Um, and there are d- three different ways that, that the Affordable Care Act try to keep uh, the, uh, the health insurance market, especially on the individual side, stable through risk, uh, through risk adjustment, reinsurance, and risk corridors. Those mechanisms are very complicated, and I'm not convinced that they've worked as well as they could work. And so uh, in the future, when there are uh, opportunities to improve uh, the Affordable Care Act, that is an area that should be looked at very carefully to make sure that, for instance, um, insurers who do business in this area aren't subsidizing someone out in, um, you know, in Pennsylvania or in other areas. We want to make sure that our insurance markets remain stable. Absolutely. You're looking at my questions, my future questions, because I'm going to talk about what changes uh, uh, that we, that you all would suggest that we make. Um, We need to take uh, another break. We need to pay the bills. So uh, let's come back in a minute or two and for our final segment today on the cost of health care. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
Blend Strategies is the leader in providing businesses and nonprofits with insight on business development, operational excellence, political strategy, tactical planning, marketing communications, leadership management, and cultural transition services for international businesses. Each member of our team is an expert in their respective field, and each of them are dedicated to serving in the best interests of our diverse client base. Our business is to define our clients' needs and create a customized plan to exceed their goals and objectives. We compete aggressively and successfully for our clients' respect and trust. We also care deeply about the communities we serve, and our expertise in civic and grassroots campaigns serves our clients well on a variety of issues. We appreciate the faith, support, dedication, and investment of our clients and community in Lang Strategies, and we look forward to a successful and sustainable partnership. For more information or to put Lang Strategies to work for your organization, visit us on the web at langstrategies.com. That's langstrategies.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Insights and Strategies. To reach Barbara Lang or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to bboyer at langstrategies.com if you have any questions or comments about the program. Now, back to Insights and Strategies. Welcome back. Glad you stayed with us for our final segment. There's still so much to cover and so much that we've not even touched on yet. Hinok, I would like to know whether you think that you have enough choices for your employees. Um, And I'm assuming that everything is through the health exchange here in the District of Columbia. But are there enough choices and what are your employees saying to you they would like to have or, or something different? Hello? Can you yes. hear me? Yes. Can you yeah, do- thank you, Barbara, for the questions. I wish, uh, you know, that the premium and deductible were lower, you know, for additional choice. I wish we want to offer, you know, more for our employee best possible coverage or even if we can try to put as much as money possible to the employees, you know whether that insurance is or vacation time or as a benefit. If the insurance is less expensive, we could, you know, even offer more benefits to them. So, Pete, how would you respond to um, uh, Hinoch's co- uh, comment? Well, Hinoch has a population that's quite large. And if I understand the laws of D.C., he probably does not use the D.C. health link unless his employees are going out and getting individual coverage. And so he has a population that's large yeah, enough that's to true. manage it. Yes, so to large enough to manage internally. And what I mean by that is that um, you can kind of take the insurance carriers out of the mix in the way he provides employee benefits and the health insurance. So he could set up a plan that they actually do pay their claims uh, every month as they come in directly and then can insure the organization on large claims or claims in overall and aggregate. But what it really gives a benefit in that particular situation, and what I'm referring to is self-insuring his health plan, is that he can make all those decisions. He can tweak deductibles. He can design any plan he wants to 
because he only needs to abide by federal legislation, not state legislation. So it gives them a little bit more freedom. But then the ultimate way to reduce the amount of claims that you have and the cost of your health insurance is healthier, more educated employees. So that if you can give them the tools and the knowledge so that they can take care of themselves and they can see the doctor and maybe take a prescription as opposed to end up with a stroke or in a hospital, that is how you do it. And so the healthier, more educated population will help reduce those claims. And then over time, the cost of this healthcare will come down. And, but it is very important that it's, it's a big education process and it does not happen overnight because you have to get employees to buy in. And so if you get this culture of health and if you get this culture of communication within your organization, people will feed off of each other. They'll see the person next to them eating healthier, so they might eat healthier. They see them exercise, so they might exercise. Um, but he is in a very um, opportune situation where he can um, really get this under, he can take control of it. And and, uh, and achieve the goals that he's looking for. Okay, so yeah. To add on the top of that, uh, I think uh, I agree with him and everything. And anytime when your employees are very healthy and good for business, but it's like you know you want your employees to be very happy, healthy because of you know you care for them and their and their families. And the thing is, but we are also benefit when they are healthy because of their productivity, morality, retention of hiring, long sick times, you know, reduction, all that kind. Of, it add up, you know. Every time your employees getting you know, the best benefit they can get. Absolutely, and they show up, and they show they up show on up. time, and you don't yeah. have large absenteeism. So mm-hmm. that's all good for business as well as well as for their own personal health. Given all of your experiences and what we have talked about this morning, if you had the ability uh, to make changes to the Affordable Care Act, uh, the national legislation, what would be the one, two, or three things that you might suggest? And I think, Mila, you had mentioned one earlier. But what other things that you see that you could suggest to make this better, uh, not only for business, but better for your employees? Um, I, I can start um, since okay. I mentioned one already. Um, I would love to have more flexibility to offer more products. Uh, the small business customers I've talked to um, tell me that they would love to offer things like short and long-term disability or even vision. And right now, um, they can offer health insurance, comprehensive health insurance, as well as dental insurance through me, get one bill, even when their employees choose uh, all four insurance companies that sell through us, which they can do with employer choice and employee choice, they get, the employer gets one bill, but I cannot, I'm prohibited by statute from also offering other products that small businesses would like to have as part of a comprehensive benefits package for their employees. 
the other wish list item for me is a, uh, it, to see a strong commitment through federal law to fund outreach and enrollment efforts. I briefly talked about the importance of having a stable risk pool with new customers coming in. Uh, being in the in DC, as all of you know, it's a really expensive media market. Uh, it gets more expensive during election time because everyone buys um, TV space, but it's very expensive to advertise and to attract new customers. And having a, a dedicated funding source from the federal government for all states to do that is really critical to help find people who are still uninsured to get them covered, uh, but also to make sure that you have a very stable risk pool. Uh, So those are uh, pretty important. Um, And then I'll throw in one other wish list item. Um, I think the tax credits uh, currently available for individuals are not sufficient. We have many people who come through the individual side who are self-employed people who don't have any employees, um, and their income fluctuates, and sometimes they're, they consider themselves to be moderate income earners, other times middle income earners, and the tax credits that are under the ACA that are supposed to make premiums more affordable, they're just not sufficient for our area. It's a very expensive area to live. Being the hippest city also makes us the most one of the most expensive cities. And, and so and, I would like to see an increase in those tax credits. Uh, uh, excellent. Yes, we are the hippest city and we're a lot of things, but we are also a very expensive city. We have run out of time, so we're going to have to leave it here. Maybe I have to do a part two on the cost of health care. Uh, my lesson learned today, there is so much more to learn about the Patient Protection and Affordable uh, Care Act or Obamacare, and we have to keep at it. We certainly thank our guest today, Mila Kaufman of uh, DC HealthLink or the DC Healthcare Exchange, Pete Chesner of McQuaid Consulting, and Hinoch Tesafe, President and CEO of U Street Parking, for providing their input on probably the single most important legislation of President Obama's administration and probably one of the most controversial. You have been listening to Insights and Strategies. I am your host, Barbara Lang, Managing Principal and CEO at Lang Strategies here in Washington, D.C. We hope you will join us for next week's show, where we will take on the importance of networking and relationship building for your business. Remember, people are divided into three groups. Some people make things happen. Some people watch things happen. Others wonder what happened. Which group are you? Thank you. Good day. Thank you for tuning in this week to Insights and Strategies. Remember to join your host, Barbara Lang, each Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.